0: Welcome, you're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. This podcast is sponsored by Allergan. In today's Empowered OD series, we're talking with Dr. Marianne Murphy, a Front Range Eye Associates in Broomfield, Colorado. Welcome, Dr. Murphy. Hi there, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. 2020 has been a, a difficult year, obviously, on so many levels and uh, in some very uh, deep and and um, unsteady ways for for a lot of ODs. But we're not we're not going to dwell on the negative. We're certainly not going to skirt over it either. But there have been opportunities in in 2020, and what we're talking about today is embracing change. Um, and uh, you know, not not on the frivolous level, not on the you know, life gives you lemons, and here you are with lemonade. But what have you done in this year to to, to embrace the changes that have come to you?
1: Sure, that's that's a great question because I think it was an opportunity. For a lot of us that are constantly on the go and constantly making to-do lists um, of things that we would want to do in our practices if we had the time to really be forced to, unfortunately, kind of stop and take the time to be able to do those things. So while they may not have been top priorities before, when given the opportunity to close your doors and focus on things that have been sitting on that list for a long time, I think it was a bit of a blessing in disguise. And probably for us specifically, and I know a lot of the other female ODs that are out there, we're just juggling a million balls at once, you know, whether it's family, running a practice, leadership positions that we serve in, volunteer positions that we serve in. So inevitably something kind of gets left behind. And in my particular practice, I would say what I feel I've left behind the last couple of years that I kind of allowed to rest on its laurels was our staff culture mm. and our staff connectedness. So I think, you know, I took some time when this all happened, when the doors closed and we got to kind of sit and look at each other and kind of figure out how are we going to get through this? Mm-hmm. Um, and more than just answering the questions, it was taking the opportunity to, to reconnect with staff so they understood what was important, not just to us as a business, but um, to us as a community and how we were going to get through it.
0: Yeah. And... um did, did your staff appreciate that? I mean, did they feel like this was slipping or was that sort of just your, and, and slipping may be too strong a word. Did they feel like the focus might not have been there as, as much or they're busy too? You know,
1: yeah. You know, it's interesting that you ask that because I think the very nature of optometric practices is there tends to be a lot of turnover. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had some, you know, have some longtime employees, 10 years plus, who no doubt felt the change over time. Um, and a lot of it is just because we got busier. We've added more doctors. In my leadership roles, I've been absent from the practice more. So little things just kind of slip through the cracks. So I don't. I don't think slipping's necessarily too strong of a word. But I think more importantly, when you take on new staff, um, and so you know, in the last probably five years, I would say half the staff has turned over. Um, You know, you just have students that come and go that work as techs or opticians that look for other opportunities. And so, you know, it's those new folks that really didn't have the sit down on this is how we do things around here. And more importantly, this is why we do the things we do and the reasons that we do them. So, It was really great to sit down and spend that time with the new staff, and it was great for the new staff to see the more seasoned staff take a leadership role in spreading that culture. It wasn't something that fell only on the doctors, Um, and, and where it really came to light was not just in the way that we operate as a business, but the sense of responsibility that the staff had to each other. And also to our patients and our community. You know, it wasn't just about following CDC guidelines and state mandates about, you know, wearing masks and cleaning protocols, but it was about protecting our family, you know, yeah. our work family and protecting our patient family. And, and again, back to the why of why we did it. Um, because, you know, we, I published during the time, you know, within my office, this manifesto of kind of, <sighs> this is our protocol, right? I mean, everyone had 10s and 20 pages of things. And I was copying and pasting from all the brightest stars out there and all the, you know, industry leaders and all the experts and all the journals and taking everything I can and just being thirsty with it. But at the same time, the why doesn't get captured. And, and the why the office down the street may do it is different than our why. So to right. be able to really connect with that, uh, to me, was really important and then was able to be translated to our patients. And so, you know, a couple of specific examples would be, you know, if someone called and we're doing the COVID screening over the phone and someone says they traveled to Arizona last week you know, rather than simply stating, you know, it's our office policy that if anyone has traveled within the last 10 days, they cannot be admitted. Um, the way that it came across from my staff was, you know, in an effort to protect the rest of our patients and in an effort to protect the staff that we have working here, we're going to ask you to reschedule. And it just, it came across with such a different tone and people were really understanding. Um, and when the staff understood that they could be empowered to make the decisions that made them feel sta- safe, it, it was fantastic.
0: That sounds um, incredible. And it sounds like everyone must recognize the change now.
1: Right. And I think, again, it was a way of revisiting this component of our culture that will persist long beyond COVID. Um, And that's the one thing that I can hope for, because you know, this doesn't all the caring doesn't stop when the pandemic stops. Um, This is the kind of attitude and compassion and empathy that we need to have going forward. And I'll be the first to admit that I think over the years, you lose a little bit of that when you're just busy and doing the grind day in and day out, you kind of ultimately need something that forces you to stop and just reevaluate why you do what you do.
0: Right. Now, in terms of the actual um, inside the building, you know, uh, were there processes that that changed other than the, the safety pr- protocols? I mean, did you decide this is a good time to bring in a new service, a new product line, a new testing? Uh, I, I know you've got a, a, tremendous, a, a tremendously high-tech practice. You, you have a lot of um, a great instrumentation um, in there. Uh, I, I remember walking through your your little sort of a semicircle location. <laughs> correct?
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, uh. and I think you're right. I think it's interesting because we've always been a practice that embrace technology, Um, probably much to the detriment of my staff. If something was in alpha testing, we were too late, right? Forget about beta (laughs) testing. We wanted something that was like fresh off the product line, which means inevitably it spends more time broken than it does working. And so my staff (laughs) has been so patient through the years to really embrace that concept of our office as have our patients. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's interesting is, you know, there's a lot of technology that I think a lot of offices have that they just don't harness and they don't use, right? So we've had capacity to do telemedicine. We've had the capacity to use a patient portal to collect histories. We've had the capacity to be texting our patients through HIPAA compliant platforms. And we just haven't been doing it. You know, we we right. we we brought on the technology. So I was extremely grateful that We had the technology in place that we just had to push the go button as opposed to having to take the time to evaluate which platform was going to be better for what or, you know, doing the buying research. We had already done that. So for a lot of those things, it really was a matter of of pushing the green light, getting staff up to speed. So I was astounded at how much telemedicine that we did, Mm. Um, not just because we were forthright in offering it, but, you know. To the point that patients just expected and came to demand it you know we would see someone when we had the mandate to close via telemedicine and three weeks later when we were open and invited them to come in for a follow-up office visit, <laughs> you know they would be the ones that would say well i just talked to her on video last week and it was good enough why can't i just do it the same this way so um so we really listened to our patients and you know you hear that all the time through surveys that are done right. through Johnson and other publishers that say you know, patients want telemedicine, they're comfortable with telemedicine, patients want late night evening hours, patients want to fill out their forms online. And I think as a practitioner, sometimes we sit back and go, well, that's not my patients, my patients would much rather see me. Um, and, you know, there, there's just that, that arrogance. And, you know, I think just the, this established rapport of the doctor patient relationship, which is really wonderful, but I think for our patients, it actually helped them feel more comfortable. So if we did see someone over telemedicine and they saw our face, then when I looked at them and made an evaluation and I would say something like, boy, this could be a lot of different things. Having talked to you now and having done my cursory evaluation over video, I feel like I really need to see you. Right. And at that point they would say, oh, if it's that bad, I better come in. You know, And I'm glad I avoided going to the ER. So we established a lot of rapport with our partners in healthcare. Just you know, doing what we could to help keep patients out of the ER. But um, also, like I said, that the use of the portal and the texting uh, was was huge for our patients. So to be able to solicit, you know, renewed contact lens orders, we did a tremendous amount of business with that in the first couple of months to really help keep us afloat. Um, and then the portal, obviously, using the phrase that it helped. Reduce the time in the office, so patients weren't sitting there filling out paperwork or just sitting there face to face in the exam room with the tech. We encouraged our patients to use the portal, and that has just been tremendous.
0: And that's probably one of those things that's going to stay.
1: No doubt, all Mm -hmm. all of them. I think the telemedicine for sure. I've been surprised how much we've continued to use that.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, Not and not just because of the technology Mm -hmm. um, component and the convenience to the patient, but simple things like in terms of productivity, you know, I think about that first patient after lunch um, or the first patient in the morning, we now always double book those with a telemedicine appointment because a technician has to take the patient in office back and I'm 15 minutes before I'm seeing the patient and that's the perfect time. And it's time certain for sure to be able to do a telemedicine visit. So now in the period of 15 minutes, instead of seeing one office visit in office, I'm seeing a telemedicine and a physical visit. So um, it's been able to boost profitability in a year when. Every little bit helps,
0: right? And and of course you're not you don't need to clean up after that telemedicine right. person either. <laughs> there
1: is no sanitization protocol for it, <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> so it's kind of wash your hands and off you go, right? Um, so yeah. it, interesting that y- you know you you've developed these these um, better communications with with the uh, rest of the me- medical community, or or at least perhaps more of a recognition by the community and the medical community of what optometry brings to the table? Do you think that there was a positive for optometry here?
1: I think, I think no question. I think especially for those doctors, nurse practitioners, and PAs with whom we already had established relationships, uh, they were able to see what was really next level, So they would see still sometimes patients in their offices that they had established relationships with, and they would call us and say, you know, this is something I would normally send to the ER, but given that Mm -hmm. we're all trying to keep people out, is this something that you want to see? Is this something that should go to an ophthalmologist? And we were just really able to talk through it. And there was a couple of occasions where even they would put the patient on video in their office, and we would talk kind of between the three of us. So um, it was a great way to continue to build upon that relationship and reinforce what optometry can do. In the primary care setting
0: awesome you know you you mentioned leadership, and I know that another th- those those kinds of leadership those volunteer organizations the, the the things that you do outside of your office to to help advance the the profession those don 't really take a break. I mean the travel does right we 've all done much less and maybe no travel this year but um, how how are you able to keep up with those kinds of um, Uh, engagements and responsibilities and 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 can you embrace change on this larger level too?
1: Yeah I think undoubtedly we've had to Sometimes I think, you know, for years, um, you included, we've been going to these industry conferences, and I think you reach a point where you really look at your calendar and you wonder, can I fit in one more conference? And do I want to fit in one more conference? I'm seeing the same people, and am I really getting a lot out of it? So I think it was an opportunity for the industry to be creative. Um, and when you know your audience is sitting in their home in front of a computer with, you know, cozy couches and fuzzy pets as distractions, I mean, you have have to find a way to make your material engaging. So I think that organizations were able to do that, whether they were doing continuing education or they were meetings between my peers in other leadership roles. So I think that part of it was really exciting. And then no doubt with these organizations, I can think of charitable organizations um, as well as some other organizations that I'm involved with. This this pandemic has hit them as well. Um, And so having to sit amongst my peers and colleagues and figure out creative ways to make sure that those businesses can sustain themselves. Um, And because it's outside the practice, you know, really having to think outside the box, really having to take into account what's happening in other industries um, and the same thing, you know, meetings by Zoom, Teams, Google Meets, um, really being comfortable with whatever platform somebody suggests and making sure you've got uh, good headphones and a good mic and um, a good video. <laughs> and I think you can be good to go. But I think these are all things that I learned mostly from having to set my kids up for remote learning. You know, we didn't re- realize that we were going to need four computers in our house that had camera capacity, audio capacity, and the amount of bandwidth we were going to be putting through. Right, right. Uh, on a given day. So having to embrace all that and then everyone having different conversations, it's been exciting to see how the industry has responded. And I think optometry in particular has been so supportive of practitioners. It's been amazing.
0: And you bring up another point that um, I I think a lot of moms, certainly parents also um, struggled with, and that is embracing the change of, of having your kids at home. Um, and, and I don't know whether yours are at home all the time or if it's a combination of at home and in school, but, um, certainly earlier in the year, they were probably home and how, how do you as a family embrace that kind of change?
1: Very carefully. (laughs) Um, So I have two teenagers, and they have both been home the entire time. Um, You know, we had looked at the opportunity to go back for hybrid. And just when we were about to take it, uh, things changed and the school shut down. So my kids haven't been back at all. And we've all been home. And with teenagers, I think, and hormones and relationships, you just you tread that water very carefully. But it's interesting, you mentioned that about parents, because you know, we live in an area where a lot of people had previously worked from home and definitely now more people do. And what that means is these kids that we've been seeing for years that occasionally would come in without their parents or their parents would be there, but they would be on their cell phones while they were working. Um, more recently, as those kids have come in, their parents accompany them because they have a flexible work schedule. But more importantly, they're really present. Um, <laughs> And they ask those questions about the screen time for the kids and how much time is too much time. And is it okay if they're in zoom meetings all day, if they still want to be on FaceTime or Snapchat with their friends at night and trying to find that balance. And it's brought up interesting conversations, not just in terms of eye care and what's too much for the eyes, but just as fellow parents, like, how are you managing it? All the doctors in my practice have children. They're all school age. And so they look to us, um, not just for, health and doctor advice, but parenting advice Um, and and most interesting, like I said, they're just present and they listen and it involves then conversations about blue light. It turns into conversations about myopia control. And like I said, these same parents were sitting in the exam room a year ago, but Mm -hmm. they weren't there. Right. right. And, and I would say the same thing about visits, maybe even with my children to truly be present and figure out what do I need to do to make sure this human grows in every possible way during a time when, you know, their academic growth may be stunted. <laughs> you know, what can I do physically uh, right. to make sure that they're in the best environment? And, and that's really been a bonus for us.
0: And, you know, what's what's interesting is you were saying that, too. It, w- what's unusual about this is that everybody is going through more or less the same thing i mean you know kids might be different ages a toddler and an adult kid are different than your your teens but you know the am i doing the right thing (laughs) am you know am i taking advantage of the the time that i am home am i present those those kinds of things i'm i'm sure are um shared experiences that you might not have gotten
1: no doubt and i think it's funny i read somewhere in the past week about, you know, really taking this opportunity as a parent to reset, you know, whether your kids are three years old or seven years old or teenagers, you know, I think at some point you look back and go, you know, I meant to be more strict about technology at the dinner table. I meant to be more strict about, you know, being on your phone after eight o'clock and when you kind of let things slide and I wish I would have read this article earlier in the pandemic or that somebody would have written it because mm-hmm. I've taken that opportunity really with my kids to say, okay, we're gonna start over, we're gonna do over because I'm home and you're home and you know I know we've been letting these things slide all along but um, taking the opportunity to reset and listen to what other parents are doing I think has been amazing, and people, because they have time, and for so many of our patients, they'll oftentimes present to the office and say, "You know, this is the only place outside of the grocery store we've been in three months." Right. Um, so they're so they're rather chatty. Yeah. <laughs> and they're they're <laughs> eager to tell you what they've been doing at home and what's working in their household, and definitely what's not working, and who in the area provides the best internet service, and who has the best takeout Chinese. It's been interesting where the conversations have led. But I think yeah. what's critical and what's a, a, a common. Thread read through all of them is it's not just, you know, the coffee table talk. It's not just small talk. Right. It's people being connected. And that I think, and I hope will be something that definitely, um, eternalizes, uh, after the pandemic.
0: Right. Right. Well, you've, you've made these connections in, in a way, and that doesn't go away. Right. I mean, you, you know, that from, from the patients that you've seen for years, you have, obviously many more connections with those folks than you do with somebody who's new to town. But, you know, maybe you've sort of uh, deepened all of those relationships in, in this time too.
1: Yeah. And so it's these, it's these same patients that you've seen for years, no matter what setting you're in, who you've taken care of year after year, you know, now taking the time to look you in the eye and say, thank you for being here. Thank you for being open. Thank you for having your staff here. Thank you for all the cleaning processes you've put in place. Um, and it's just nice after all these years to hear that and have them look you in the eye and say it to you.
0: Right. Right. Because, uh, and 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 that's in large part, I'm sure, that it's exactly what you're saying. They go to the grocery store and, uh, you know, the places where they absolutely have to go. And then yours is the fun one, right? We like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> that 's awesome so let me let me ask you a, a different question what um, What would you tell your younger self what do you what do you know now that you wish you knew when you when you first started practicing
1: oh that 's a good one. Um, you know I think when you realize, especially as a female o d all the different directions that you 'll be pulled, um, your practice, your patients, your children, your family you know, volunteer, leadership organizations, um, if you could appreciate that you're not an octopus, right? You don't have all these tentacles that can go out in every direction. And if they do, something has to give. So Mm -hmm. if I could go back and tell myself to really choose wisely, Mm. um, pick the things that I'm most passionate about. And it seems simple. If you think I have an opportunity with a pharmaceutical company to lecture on their medication or a contact lens company to talk about their product, one of them has to resonate with you more, you know, and if it's right. because you're talking about glaucoma and that's something that's personally impacted your family versus no one in your family wears vision correction, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe the pharmaceutical company is a better fit. And and I think the main reason for that, besides the obvious, I mean, be, get attached to the things that you like, um, are that plenty of other opportunities will come up. And if you've said yes to everything, at some point you run out of time and if an amazing opportunity then comes along, it doesn't give you the bandwidth to do it and do it well. So learning to say no, stay connected to what you're passionate about, you know, establish and kind of follow your guiding principles um, and be honest with yourself. I think that that's the advice I would, that's the first piece of advice I would give my younger self and the advice I give my children now.
0: That's, that's great. That's great. Dr. Murphy, thank you so much for being a part of this, uh, this podcast series. Thank you, Rachel. It was great to be here. This podcast was sponsored by Allergan. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline@gmail.com at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.